Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Laura, you'd be up for purple, right? I mean, look at this video we got going on here. You got purple yeah. lighting in the background, the purple, purple and blue hair. Yeah. Actually, my favorite color is green, though, believe it or not. I was going to say that she likes green. <laughs> I would probably be shrouded in green. Purple and green, giving Barney. Yeah. <laughs> Laura's funeral is giving Barney. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my first observation to Pam as I'm crying on her shoulder. I'd be like, this is so sad while simultaneously giving Barney. <laughs> Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real spooky talk. I'm Andrew. Ooh, I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. <laughs> Perfect. Wow, we didn't even plan that. They just went along <laughs> with my nonsense. We have a really great interview for everybody today. Pam, can you tell us who we're going to be talking with? Yes, we're going to be talking to Lauren Carroll. She is a funeral director and a death educator. She also specializes in sustainable death options. It, this was just such a fun discussion. I know that death can be really scary for people, and I promise it's not morbid at all. She has such a wonderful outlook on life and what it means to kind of embrace the idea of death and grief. And we learned so, so much from her. So we really hope that you all enjoy our conversation with her as much as we enjoyed, you know, having her on the show. But before we get to that, we have some scary news. This week is your last chance to pledge to our Patreon and receive the 2023 physical gift. This year's gift is our album art signed by the three of us, and it's individually numbered. Uh, there will also be two bonuses. One is a small nod to the year. We're keeping both of these bonuses a surprise. And the second one unlocks a new series of bonus content from the three of us. We have big plans for this. We're really excited about it. It's a very original idea that Laura and Pam actually dreamed up. So you'll be getting these two surprises with the signed album art in November, but you have to pledge by October 31st, Halloween. So pledge, and also you have to fill out a form. And the reason we ask you to fill out the form is just so we make sure we have your latest address and we want to make sure you want to receive it. So patreon.com slash millennial is where you can pledge at the Bay or executive producer levels. And of course, you get more than just the signed album art. You get Mega Millennial, which includes After Dark and Ad Free Millennial every week. You also get access to our live streams, our planning docs, and a lot more. So check it all out at patreon.com slash millennial. This is the final week to get the album art. Don't miss out. Also, Laura and Pam. So Patreon has this cool new chat feature in the app where you, you can just like slide into the DMs of Fun. our supporters. And I asked patrons through this chat the other day, what should we call you guys? I don't want to call you guys patrons anymore. We need a cool name, like a club name. So tell me what you think of these. These are from listeners. Megan, and this was the most upvoted one, said elder millennials. <laughs> 
so our patrons would henceforth be called elder millennials. Uh, are they all elder millennials, though? I think we have a pretty good spread. We are elder mm-hmm. millennials. Yes. That was my hesitation. I don't want to call everybody old, but maybe that was part of the joke. People seem to like it for some reason. Huh. I mean, I like it, too. Maybe we just call them the elders and then we're the millennials. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> the elders. elders. That makes them sound so ominous and powerful, which, you know, they are. Yes. They are, for sure. Oh, my God. They basically control us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Imagine being it. on air and you're like, oh, let's ask the elders what they think. <laughs> yeah, it's short and, and snappy. We're going we're gonna to have to get, like... Uh, spiritual like choral music to be like we have to confer <laughs> with the elders and then it's like oh <laughs> the spirit of the elders say yes <laughs> I- I'm thinking of all the elders around a large circular stone table just like mm-hmm. deciding our fate Laura must die there's a lot of opportunity here <laughs> to play around with this I'm just saying okay all right so now we're seeing the potential um <laughs> I almost hesitate to bring these other ones up, but Becky said hashtag, which I like, like become a hashtag today. Yeah. Which I think also it plays into our title because we have the hashtag in the front. And I was also thinking we could do like a um, like a dare campaign. Like my anti-drug is my hashtag is I don't know. I'm just spitballing. <gasps> oh, that would be <laughs> cute. That's so creative. I love that. <laughs> okay. So we got some great options. Yeah. Sam also said Gen Wise, but pronounced it Genies. So the Y would be like an E. Interesting. You know what I love about this? I don't know if this is common knowledge, but um, when we were coming up with this show's title way back in 2015, one of the titles we did consider was Generation Y, but it was Generation and then W-H-Y with a question mark. So I love that you're leaning into that, Sam. It's like you knew. (laughs) I think we did post that doc with all of our rejected names yeah. on Patreon at some point. I'll have to double check on that. Hey, remember when I proposed God's Country, except it was spelled C-U-N-T-R-Y? Oh, my God. <laughs> Would Apple allow that on? No, de- you know, that de- probably not. not. That word has come back, so I, maybe we missed out on a moment. <laughs> Finally, one other. We got a bunch, but I'll just focus on these four. Uh, Letty said avocado. So, so become an... I almost said that like avocado, avocado. So become an avocado today, which I think is pretty funny too. It's cute. <laughs> I do like that. All right. Well, we might be settled on elders. Like, <laughs> maybe we can use these other names for something else. We'll we'll get back to y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Now let's move into our interview. Without further ado. So today's episode is all about death, and I know that sounds super morbid, but I promise that we've planned a really fun and informative conversation for all of you today. So don't freak out if death makes you uncomfy. You're definitely not alone. And honestly, hopefully our special guest today will ease some of the anxieties you might have around the subject. So today we are joined by Lauren Carroll. Lauren is a funeral director and a death educator who specializes in sustainable death options, and she's also the co-founder founder of deathwives.org. This is a female-founded collective that's working to widen the narrative around death and dying. So, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. So, to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and kind of how you got into the business of death because I don't know how old you are, but you look very young and I think Aww, most of the time thanks. the image that people have in their heads about people that are in the funeral industry are like 
older people, somebody that like doesn't look as joyish. <laughs> Getting ready to hop in the coffin themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's true. I Honestly, I once had somebody say, you're too happy to be a funeral director. And I said, I'm sorry. I don't know how else to be. My story is weird, I guess. I think a lot of people in funeral work either come from it, like, you know, it's a generational thing. Um, or they're just drawn to death. And as a little girl, I was very drawn to death and very curious about death and dying. But then when I was 13, my uncle was killed in a car accident. And of course, that shifted everything for me. Um, And I actually kind of became scared of death, which I love telling this story because they're like, Lauren, this is like your life is death. I'm like, I know. But I didn't go to cemeteries. If I saw hearses, I would hold my breath. Like, I was scared. And then being the gothic girl in high school, it was very strange that I was the only one who wouldn't go to the cemeteries and hang out. (laughs) But when I was 19, um, my boyfriend at the time was working at a funeral home and he said, we need some help typing death certificates. And I said, well, as long as I don't have to be around dead people, I'm okay. Because I was like most people, like just like, I don't want to be around that. And so that's what I did is I typed death certificates on a typewriter. That's how this is 20 years ago at this point. And then one day they asked me to do what's called a, a removal. I needed to go to the hospital to pick up a stillborn baby. And I said, what? Absolutely not. That's terrifying. I can't do that. And they're like, oh, no, no, you can do that. Like, just grab a box or something and you'll go to the hospital and they'll put the baby. And I said, uh, no. So I grabbed a blanket from the back and went to the hospital and I got there and I told the nurse that I was there to pick up the baby and I gave her a blanket and she was just like, wow, bless your heart. I said, what? And that's when I found out that there was already kind of a disconnect of the gentleness of death and dying. Um, So she brought out a full term wrapped up baby and I quickly carried him out of the hospital and put him on the front seat of my Volkswagen Jetta that I was driving in Southern California at the time and just sat in the parking lot and I could, this might sound a little woo-woo, but I could literally feel like the love radiating off of this little baby. And in that moment, all of a sudden I realized like this family loved this little boy. They had dreams, they had hopes, and now he's with me and I'm taking care of him. And what an honor. And just like that, everything changed. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. I want to make sure that people are cared for. Um, And yeah, I followed that path. I moved to Colorado and started working as a funeral director. In the, uh, the industry is what I like to call it, because there's a difference between corporate run funeral homes, which they own about one in three of the funeral homes in America, and then more family-owned funeral homes. So I've worked at both, and I can tell you I'm much happier at the family-owned funeral homes in the corporate setting. Um, but that corporate setting really shifted my idea of like even death care. I was like, this is really bad. I'm a salesperson. I'm giving these people packages. They can't afford to pay this bill. And so I learned about home funerals. And I, as a funeral director, had no idea what a home funeral was. I had no idea that you could have a body at home that hasn't been embalmed. And so when I started going down that path and working with families who wanted to have home funerals, 
it was like a night and day difference of how they grieved, of what they did, the ceremonies that they were able to have in their own home. Um, and that changed everything. So I left and I started educating full time and teaching people about their rights and what you can do with a home funeral. Um, and then four years ago, me and my business partner, Aaron, started the Death Lives and really just focused on educating people because people don't have these conversations ever, <laughs> telling people what they can do, how to plan their own funeral and make it fun. Um, and we train death doulas and death doulas help people at the end of life. Um, we always say, you know, try and have a good death, but really it's holding space for people as they're dying and what that looks like. And it can be a whole spectrum of care education education that's yeah, what i do that's incredible that, <laughs> that is was so a really powerful story yeah like, beautiful and gentle too and, and talk about the baby like i was getting teary-eyed listening to that that was so powerful wow well it did change my life i can tell you <laughs> yeah. i'm sure yeah. and i mean you've you've i mean perfectly articulated part of what i wanted to ask you next but there's still a piece of this i want to make sure we touch when we were emailing back and forth with you you said that death is all about life and living. Could you unpack that a little bit for the audience? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not something I realized when I was 13 or even 19. It took me realizing over and over again that your day is never promised. I had so many people die that did not know that they were going to die that day. And for me, it made me realize like, whoa, life really matters because we all know we're going to die, right? 10 out of 10, you're all going to die. Sorry, guys. Hate to break it to you. <laughs> Man. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You're all going to die someday. But the thing is, we really don't know when that's going to happen. We want to die peacefully in our sleep as an old person, you know, surrounded by our family. But that realistically doesn't usually happen. Um, and so the more I, focused on death, the more I realized I gotta live. You have to live life. It's and that's why I think I do find joy in so many things. I don't hold grudges. I take the vacations, you know, I live because I know I'm gonna die. Yeah. It's so interesting to think about it as death being something that gives life meaning. Because what would be if we were all immortal, let's say, what would be the point of anything if you had eternity? Yeah, falling in love for the first time, like, would it matter as much? Or like, how many times would you eat your favorite food? Or what experiences you have? If we didn't have death, like you said, nothing really matters. <laughs> so death is a is a gift in a way. That's refreshing. Death makes you appreciate things too, right? When it's whether it's a pet or a human, like these people pass maybe unexpectedly, and it's like, wow, you can't take any day for granted because life is so unexpected. You want to appreciate every moment and every day. So just really taking a step back out of your day to day life and being like, damn, I'm lucky to be alive. It's it's uh okay. I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan, so this line is coming to me. It isn't a sin to be glad you're alive. That's the line that was just coming to me. Totally. I can't go one interview without dropping a Bruce Springsteen reference. I'm kidding. I, I no, it's a like record. Yes. <laughs> well, make sure to put that on your uh, urn because, you know, you as go. you've established, you're going to go before Laura and I. So, <laughs> Lauren, obviously, death can be a scary thing for a lot of people. What would you say is a good first step? 
for us to take in an effort to ease our own anxieties around death? I mean, first, it's like unpack what you're anxious about. Are you anxious about the physical aspects of dying? Are you anxious about your family being sad? Are you anxious about missing out? (laughs) You know, the YOLO thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to miss Taylor Swift in AMC theaters. I got to keep living. That's an attack, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Or are you just nervous about grief? I think when people are afraid of death, they're not as afraid of death as they are afraid of the sadness and the hard part of losing somebody. Because when you die, you're cool. Like, you're not here anymore. You don't really, <laughs> you're not in any pain. I um, I like to educate people on what the dying process is like because a lot of people haven't been around people when they die. They've only seen the horrors that are on movies or TV shows. Death can be very peaceful. It's a very, it's, you know, a natural act. We're all going to go through it. Um, just like birth, your body knows what to do. We can kind of calculate like, okay, they've hit this point, this point, this point, death is going to be coming soon. And when you understand it, it's really not as scary. Um, but really it is, it's kind of unpacking first, like, what are you scared of? Which part of death? And then educating them on that. And if they're scared about, you know, the grief part, that's when I say, well, call your family and tell you you love them every single day or take the trip with your best friends every single year. Yeah. I guess one thing that pops to mind for me is maybe people are scared. And I kind of guess you were sort of circling around this, like uh, leaving your family behind. Maybe they depend on you. So that could be really hard. But I guess that's where like life insurance would come in pre-planning yeah i really liked your point on movies and tv shows as well it's like it's like this is why people have fears around flying too you see in the movies the plane making the dramatic crash you know it never happens but of course in the movies and the tv shows it does yeah so to your point like and laura loves like laura loves true crime and this probably doesn't help people either true crime (laughs) is huge in the podcasting world and you just hear these horror stories all the time Mm-hmm. That's a good thing for us to keep in mind. That's something I could keep in mind because I think that's where some of my anxiety around death comes from. The yeah. heart attack, the painful heart attack. You know, I'm just like, ah, and just slowly <laughs> dying. <laughs> but we don't, I mean, when you start studying things like near death experiences too, then you kind of see the other side of it. Nobody has come back from a near death experience and said, well, that was awful. Everybody's always like, oh, I was, it was glowing light. I felt warm. I felt love. So that for me also has alleviated a lot of fear of like the death part. Um, I don't mm. know. What's, what's this audience like? Can I talk about psilocybin for a second? <laughs> well, actually, Liza said it's the fear of missing out for, for her. Yeah. That surprises me. I didn't think that was really a thing. The fear of missing out? Understandable. Yeah. I mean... I think about people who get terminal diagnoses and they have young kids. There is that fear of missing mm, out. You're not yes. going to be at their high school graduation. You're not going to yeah. be at their wedding. And that's where a death doula really comes in handy too, because they can help facilitate like, well, what can we do so you can be part of that? Even if you're not there, can you make a video? Can you make a card for their 16th birthday? You know, you're not you don't get to be there anymore. I don't want to say that you're missing out. I don't know exactly what happens when we die, but I have a feeling we get to kind of linger and check in on our people when we need to. But yeah, you know, there's there's ways to to not miss out on the future yeah. if you do know that you're going to die. 
What was mm. it you were about to bring up? Psilo- that really fancy word. Oh, yeah. Mushrooms, psilocybin. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. no, you, can t- you can totally bring that up. That's yeah. Fine. Oh, sorry. I thought you had said, "What do your listeners think?" I, like I thought you were asking what was going on in the Discord. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I think that mushrooms or psilocybin is a great tool for death anxiety too. We talk about it a lot. Um, we've done in Colorado here; it's legal, so we've held a few workshops and. It's interesting what happens before we have people kind of fill out a a form of what they think their relationship with death is, and then what happens afterwards. And I think almost it's the most powerful tool out there personally for people who don't even really want to have the conversation because something happens. I think people feel that connectedness to the whole universe and remember like, oh, I am just part of everything. That's not so scary. That's what I'm going to return to. So. We use that a lot too on the side. That's beautiful. I will keep that in mind. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not for everyone, but for the right people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up grief a few times there in your explanation to Andrew's question, because I wanted to ask you why you think there isn't more of an open dialogue in regards to talking about grief in relation to death, because it feels like something that society has decided is a solitary activity. But maybe if it wasn't, it wouldn't be so hard to like know what is normal. Like, you know, Laura has told us before that she processes grief with dark humor. Some people might find that weird, but maybe it's not. Funeral directors (laughs) are the funniest people on this planet. (laughs) Funeral directors and nurses. Funniest. Um, You know, the problem is, is you kind of touched on this, is we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to grieve. We don't know how to support each other because death and dying has been so far removed from us, you know, for the past three generations, at least. I talked to my grandpa once and he was like, no, I remember my aunt being laid out on our kitchen table. So she, you know, there was times when death was very much part of our lives. So we took care of our dead together we grieved together in community now it's people will die in a nursing home their family lives in another state the funeral home picks up the body and does a direct cremation with no services and mails the ashes to them and who knows what they're going to do if they have a service or not but it's become so disconnected that i don't even think a lot of people have the tools to know how to do this and that's why i do what i do is i educate people we have a class called Deeper Death Work, and that's exactly what it's about, is how do you hold space for people in grief, and how do you process your own grief when, you know, your parents didn't show you how to cry in public, or, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I was never even allowed to go to funerals as a kid. That was, you know, we were kept out of that. So if you're not around it, how are you going to know how to process it? Um, but the The biggest takeaway that I've learned in this work is that we do need to grieve in community because the thing is, you know, I shared the story about the baby boy and you said it made me get teary eyed. When I grieve, it opens up a space for you to grieve. It opens up and it doesn't even have to be my grief that you're grieving. It's your own grief. And it's like, oh, okay, thank you for giving me this space. And so we see it a lot, you know. If there's a murder, people have a candlelight vigil, but really it's 
for everybody, for everything. I mean, we have a lot to be grieving about in this world and we shouldn't be doing it alone. We should be doing it mm. together because we're all carrying it in us. Power in numbers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's so true. Even just sitting here as we're talking, I find myself getting a little misty eyed, but it's not... It's not a bad thing. It's it feels like a very cathartic moment that we're having in this conversation where it's like, wow, this is one of those things where like death, this is grief is just another human experience that we all have and carry with us. But we are so conditioned to bury it, not mm -hmm. take it out of the box and not look at it and not acknowledge that it's there. So and the thing yeah. with grief is it's love. You would not grieve something if you didn't love it. So if you can just go backwards sometimes and remember that space of love, and that's why you're grieving. And when you don't grieve, you don't get to experience that love. It's a weird, you know, it doesn't always make sense. Like, how is how can you feel that? But you just said it. You get this release. And it's a weird connection, but it's a remembering. It's a remembering why you're grieving and the loss and the love. And of course, one of the big challenges while all of us are trying to navigate these very complex emotions and how they manifest socially is the cost and the expense that comes with death care. Um, so circling back to the funeral industry for a minute, can you help us understand why it's so expensive to die? <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be. And I mean, that's why I started doing the whole funerals. I'm like, you guys, this is DIY. You can literally have everything. You can have the viewing at home. You could build your own casket. The only fee would be for the burial plot, you know? Um, it death can be very affordable, but it is a business now. And that is why we have these expenses. Um caskets are a ridiculous amount of money <laughs> people don't normally know how much they're going to be spending until they walk into that door and i think that that's one of the hardest things is that people come in not expecting to spend seven thousand dollars and then all of a sudden they're like okay we need a call so and so to get a little bit of their credit card and then we're going to put some on this credit card and some on this credit card um mm. and i think it's just not fair because all of a sudden you get that bill that you can't afford and your person is dead and now you have this huge debt. And so I try and help people really kind of break it down. What parts do you need from a funeral home? What parts maybe can you do yourself? Um, because all funeral homes are supposed to be kind of pick all and choose. All cart, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people do packages for convenience but really there's a lot of extra things and usually the packages are more expensive. So <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those things that it can be as expensive as it is because people don't really have any other choice or at least they feel like they don't have other choices. And again, that's why I educate because there are a lot of choices out there. I feel like that also like unfortunately starts at the hospital. A lot of people die in the hospital, right? But it's almost like because the medical industry is what it is, they're ushering you out the door. It's like almost like we we can only hold your person for so long. Like we we got to get you out. Which, yeah. I mean, like exactly. my grandma died a few years ago and it, that was like, unfortunately, I think like we were a little bit kinder about um, how um, quickly they wanted answers for everything because it was like towards the tail end of COVID. But 
it just seems so wild to me that they're like, you know, they are clearly aware that somebody you love has died and they're like, but we need a a name of a funeral home. But if you're not prepared, like, what are you going to do? You're just going to like Yelp the first one and be like, that looks good, right? (laughs) People do that. And that is so unfortunate because you might get the most expensive funeral home in town. <laughs> right. And but the you don't know that. can't afford that. Mm-mm. Yeah. I think it's so important, I think, to do your homework. Like I said at the beginning, 10 out of 10, you're going to die. So why not do some <laughs> research now instead of in that moment of panic, right? Grandma just mm-hmm. died. What are you doing? You're trying to force me to make a decision right now. But that is... I would say what most people experience because we're not having conversations around death and dying. And if we did, I've had my funeral plan since I was 19 and it, I've had two kids since then. And so there's been teeny tiny changes, but for the most part, it's been the same. So it's never too early to start is what we're hearing. (laughs) No, because like I said, the hardest thing is when it's an unexpected death. And they have no idea what to do. I don't know if they want to be cremated. I don't know if they want to be buried. Who are their friends? What do we do? And when you have that kind of pre-planned, we always say it's it's the roadmap for families so that they have the space to grieve. Because if they already know what to do, it's like, all right, that's taken care of. And now I have the mental capacity to kind of take a moment and be sad. Versus, oh, I need to make all these decisions right now and I have no idea what I'm doing. Lauren, I think in light of this conversation, we should each put you in our will with one thing like behind (laughs) us right now. Like, would you like this beer can? It's got a rainbow on it or my Price is Right name tag or an iPod? An iPod? You want an iPod? (laughs) You were on the Price is Right. Heck yeah, I want that. I was. I didn't get called down. I wasn't that cool, but I did. I was in the audience. All right, so I'll put you down for that, the tag. Okay, I'll take it. (laughs) Great. We have more to discuss with Lauren today, but first we're going to take a quick break as I update my will, and we'll be right back. Lauren, Pam, I think we spoke about this a couple weeks ago. There's caskets on Amazon for $1,200. You can buy these caskets. You can also buy an urn or an urn on amazon (laughs) yep we did that for my grandma costco sells caskets oh really oh we love costco here at yeah we do love costco have you never noticed that andrew it's always like it's very inconspicuous it's like if you look when you're leaving like at all of the offers they have it's like the corner of a casket (laughs) Uh uh-huh so it'll be like it's like here's a window and here's a casket. Yeah. Oh, it's in that section. Like oh, uh-huh. a handle oh. or whatever. Oh. It's, yeah. yeah. You should look next time you're leaving. <laughs> See, normally my my eyes are the other direction. So like the solar people don't be like, hey, you want solar? You want solar? So I'm yeah. looking away towards the tire guys. You should sacrifice just once so that you can see where they sell the caskets. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. They don't have somebody selling those. They're like, come get your Kirkland signature caskets here. (laughs) That'll be my side gig. No. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Although I am not a I'm not a fan of caskets. I'll just say that. (laughs) Me neither, actually. (laughs) Yeah. I want to be shrouded in a sheet. That's what I've always wanted. Shrouded in a sheet and then what? And then put in the ground. Oh, okay. okay. I didn't even know you could do that. I thought that if you got buried, you had to be buried like with something. 
No. Wow. See, this is why I love doing what I do because I'm like, blow everyone's minds. Yeah. What kind of sheet? Did you already decide? I would like silk and I don't know what color yet. Maybe purple. Lots of flowers. Oh, that would be beautiful. Yeah, we can have a pretty funeral. Laura, you'd be up for purple, right? I mean, look at this video we got going on here. You got purple yeah. lighting in the background, the purple, purple and blue hair. Yeah. Actually, my favorite color is green, though, believe it or not. I was going to say that so she likes green. <laughs> I would probably be shrouded in green. Yeah. <laughs> like a nice emerald green or like an electric green. Purple and green, giving Barney. Yeah. <laughs> Laura's funeral is giving Barney. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my first observation to Pam as I'm crying on her shoulder. I'd be like, this is so sad while simultaneously giving Barney. <laughs> So actually, speaking of like how to be buried or cremated, um, when so uh, we've already established you should start planning your funeral as early as possible. That was a great transition, actually, like to now. our next question. Now, immediately, yesterday yeah. is when you should have started. Yeah. Um, but everyone on this panel here would actually prefer to be cremated. And we thought we should go around and tell you how we'd like to be or where we'd like our ashes to be scattered. Pam, how about you to start? Where would you prefer to have your ashes placed? Well, okay. So I know that when we, when we were planning the discussion, I joked that y'all could just put me in a coffee can, but I was thinking more about this and I thought it might be more practical to put me in a mocha pot because there's two different chambers, right? So it might add some more protection for my ashes if you're just going to like set me on a shelf somewhere and a coffee can, you know, like the plastic lid gives me a little bit of anxiety. But like a mocha pot is all metal. So, you know, and it's a little sturdier. Yeah, exactly. And you just want to be put on someone's shelf. I guess. I mean, like I so I'm from San Francisco and they have uh, the columbarium out here. It's like a big thing that's been around for a while. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's just like this huge dome and you can pay to have your urn there and like people have put their remains in all different kinds of vessels and yeah I don't know I mean like if my family has money they want to put me there that'd be cool I could just like hang out with all of the tourists forever like because my whole thing is like actually I don't think that like if I have um you know like relatives like anybody should feel like they need to like keep my ashes because at some point no one's going to care. And then what do you do with them? I'm staying up at thrift stores. <laughs> what? <laughs> thrift uh. stores? <laughs> People have found urns with ashes at thrift stores because that's, what you, wild. that's why I'm like, are you just going to be up on a shelf? Because sometimes those items left on the shelf end up at thrift stores. Whoa. I like the columbarium wow. idea. I yeah. Think so that's, that's the winner. I think either just like pay to leave me somewhere or just like, scatter me i don't care i'll be dead (laughs) (laughs) throw me to the wind see what i care (laughs) how about you laura so i have a couple of thoughts on this i'm not fully decided if i am to be scattered some because i want to be scattered i don't want to stay in in an object if i'm to be scattered somewhere on this planet I would want it to be Pensacola Beach. That's a place that holds enormous nostalgia for me and my family. I actually was there um, a couple of years ago with a family friend who actually spread her mom's ashes there. And it was actually a really beautiful, poignant experience. And it solidified that for me. Like, yeah, if I'm going to be 
scattered on this planet. This is what I want. There is part of me that is very intrigued by the idea of having my ashes launched into space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I would want somebody to like open the urn at some point so I could just float around in the galaxy forever. Yeah. Was this a high you thought? You literally, you become stardust again, right? Exactly. Literally. Oh, beautiful. Literally ashes. Wow. So do I you like approve that. of this idea? I mean, there is a several. What about the beach thing? Do you approve of the beach thing? That seems like an environmental uh, nightmare. I mean, well, it is, I'm sure. <laughs> Ashes themselves are fine. They're just, they're, they're ashes. Um, the process of fire cremation, not so fine. That is actually probably the worst thing for our environment. To cremate one person will give off the same amount of emissions as like a Ford F-150 driving 500 miles. Wow. wow. A single okay. person. Yeah. So there is an alternative. Don't <laughs> oh, worry. Yay. Water cremation. So water cremation is just like fire, except for that you use water and it gently breaks down the soft tissues. Um, And what's left is a skeleton. And that skeleton is ground down into ashes, except for it's not ashes. It's literally bone. So it's almost like this soft white. It's beautiful compared to some of the ashes I've seen. Um, the, The other side of that is the water that's used We are very nutrient rich. When we break down, we break down into the salts and sugars and peptides and nitrogen and everything that is so good for plants. (laughs) So that water can actually be used and returned to the earth. In Colorado, here where I am, we have a farm where they return the water to this farm and they grow flowers and every year families can come and pick flowers made of their, their loved ones and then bring those wow. home. And so it's like, it's amazing. That's so this beautiful. giving back to the earth, but you still get those ashes. So you could still be scattered at the beach, which I love. One thing I'm going to say for both of you is I do think that there is a, when we go back to the grief part, I think people do like to have a place to go to grieve you. Mm. They yeah. like to have a spot to visit. So if you're just sitting on someone's shelf, like, you know, they can come around on the holidays and say, Hey, But maybe when they're older, if they move to another state, you know, so if you get scattered on the beach, maybe have like a little plaque somewhere with your name on it so people can go and sit next to your name and watch the ocean. Oh, that's That's such a beautiful idea. It's a great point because now I'm imagining somebody having to look up at the sky and be like, you're up there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So maybe the space funeral isn't the the play. But you're also <laughs> everywhere the sky is like so vast. That's kind That's, of nice. That is Laura though. She's she is everywhere. Oh wow. What an endorsement. Well, yeah. <laughs> How long does water cremation take? What what kind of process is that? That sounds like it would take a while. Oh no. It takes well depending there's different machines, but it takes anywhere from 5 hours to 16 hours depending it's actually a a really gentle process and i we joke it's like your your final spa day for your body (laughs) you just get (laughs) laid in this it's almost like a colander so your body is laid in it and then the water it's warm water it's not hot and then there's mm -hmm, there's a nice uh mixture of 
potassium chloride, aka like lye, and it breaks down the body. But again, lye is completely natural. And so it's safe. Um, it gets neutralized, but then it's safe. And it's like I said, it's great. It's great for trees and plants. And anytime people say, oh, I want to be a tree, I want to be a plant, I always have to say, you're, there's really only two options for you. And fire cremation is not the one for that. You're not going to turn into a tree when you put the ashes into the ground because they're not really nutrient rich in any way. But if you use the water from the water cremation, then you do get to become a tree. And is okay. that readily available or is it something that's a little bit newer? It's becoming more readily available. The interesting thing is most vets do it and they've been doing it for oh, a long time. So that's legal and available in all 50 states for pets. But right now for humans, oh God, I should have like maybe looked this up. I think it's like 13 states, but it's becoming more and more popular. And it's the same thing with human composting or natural organic reduction. Right now there's only four states that have it legal, but people are so interested in you know part of part of death and a lot of things that people think of is what's my legacy too what am i leaving behind and if you can leave this earth and give your body back to it it's taking care of you you know your whole lifetime so instead of doing harm you can be composted and become soil or water cremated or do natural burial which is not going to have any chemicals or preservatives or metals or concrete going into the ground it's just you that's beautiful and you've convinced me i think especially with how peaceful water cremation sounds i knew that this existed but i i think what i imagined was a lot more violent because <laughs> i was like <laughs> yeah. what's gonna have to happen in there to get the water to cremate me but yeah Hearing how peaceful this is has me convinced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's what I tell everyone. That's If you want to be cremated, that's the only way I would go. <laughs> okay, so mm. with all this information in mind, my answer is going to be water cremation and scatter my beautiful ashes around a tree mm -hmm. in like a mountain. But you can easily get to it or something. So mm, that way perfect. they can visit me, to your point about that. And then the water cremation, so I'm giving back I, I love that point because Earth obviously really needs our help. So I just love the idea of like giving back. That's really awesome. It's interesting. I always joke like the Earth is mad at us because we've been keeping our bodies from it. Like when we talked about the traditional burial that most people think of, there's a concrete vault and then usually a metal casket and then the bodies inside of that. So we are doing everything we can to keep the body away from returning to the earth, which is crazy to me. And then the other part is the fire cremation. We're going to burn you, use all these natural gases, put out tons of emissions, and then what? You know. So this water cremation, the human composting, natural burial, the more people learn about it, the more they're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. If I'm leaving, why not do some good? Mm-hmm. I'm literally Amen. updating my will as soon as we finish recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is why I love my work. <laughs> yeah, it's meaningful. Well, you just educated us so much on water cremation. I think we're all really excited about that. Um, but we also know that you're an expert in general in sustainable burials. So are there any other options that we should be looking into or we should be more informed yeah. on? That's what I want. So when I said I wanted to be wrapped in silk, um, I want to be buried in a natural preserve because not only will my body return to the earth, 
and become soil and heal it. But my body protects that land too. So being buried there and protecting the birds and the little animals that live there. Um, and it's what we've always done. I mean, if you're buried at three feet, which is the most natural place, um, there's living organisms there. There's little buggies and they help decompose you. When we're buried in a cemetery, it's usually at six feet deep. It's cold like a root cellar. So it's already kind of keeping the body colder. And then, like I said, you're in concrete and steel. So you're not going anywhere. Um, I just really like the idea of returning to the earth, but also protecting the earth however I can. So that's what I want. I want a natural burial and a preserve. That's beautiful. And that's available everywhere. I just want to tell people okay. that you can always have that. Embalming is never required by law anywhere. So you can say, I don't want to mm. be embalmed. I don't want to be in a casket. I want to be wrapped in a sheet. And both mm. of our city cemeteries here in Colorado Springs, where I live, they don't even require a vault. So you can literally be placed wow. directly on the earth. But people don't go to the cemetery and ask these questions. They go to the funeral home and the funeral home sells them the caskets that are too expensive mm. and the vaults mm -hmm. that are too expensive. Um, but again, mm -hmm. personal preferences. Sometimes yeah. people like that very, very traditional, you know, a little gaudy <laughs> funeral. And that's fine, too, you know? Yeah. And I guess I'm sort of thinking of the viewing, too. You see them in the casket. It's beautiful. It's, you know, sometimes open casket. So it's like they're being laid to rest in a comfortable looking space. So I also see the casket from that angle, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's when I talk about home funerals, I always we, you know, the body's usually on their own bed and they're in their home and you feel more comfortable there. Mm. I think viewings are really, really important. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah. A yeah. lot of people think that that's creepy. I think it's kind of creepy when they're heavily cosmetized and don't really look like themselves. But when somebody dies, again, we have that image in our head that, you know, they're going to look horrible or like a zombie and just start rotting right away. No, it's a slow <laughs> process. And so you can take time with them afterwards and they're not also going to look horrible. They're going to look exactly like they did a few hours ago when they were still alive, except we're a little bit paler. <laughs> so with the home funeral, you try to make it happen sooner after they die, it sounds like then? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so that law that embalming's not required, um, the law states that after 24 hours, the body does need to be cooled um, in a refrigerator or embalmed. And so... Okay. There is that 24 hours that families can, if somebody died in a hospital and they didn't have enough time with them, Pam, there is mm -hmm. the option to bring them home and have yeah. ice on their body and spend more time with them. During COVID, that is something that our funeral home promoted a lot. Once they're mm -hmm. in our care, we're, we can't have funerals. You can't have a viewing, but they're home with you. That is your safety nest. You can invite people over if you want to. We'll tell you, we'll walk you through the steps to prepare their body, which is very easy. Most of the stuff you have in your home or you go to the grocery store and get some dry ice. Um, but then people have that time. They have that time to really sit there and be with them and not spend thousands of dollars at the funeral home. In a comfortable, like familiar that. environment yeah, instead of a really. stuffy funeral home that 
thousands of of bodies have been through before. And yeah, it's funny you and- mentioned that because I was just going to say, like, to that point in Latin America, my family's Mexican. And it's still very common to do viewings at home. And my family's also very Catholic. So when my grandma died, they were like, OK, we got to do the rosary because grandma was very Catholic. It's like, all right. So, like, it starts the first day, basically, the person dies. We had one uncle and we, like, still, like, retell this story and, like, laugh about how freaked out he was just to, like, come into the house because he thought that my grandma was going to be, like, there in the house. And we were like, no, we're in America, dude. Like, we don't do that here. They do, though. (laughs) But I guess they do. Like, I learned something Mm -hmm. new. But, yeah, we were like, God, like, he's being so dramatic. And for what? Like, everybody goes to a funeral home now. So I learned something new. But, yeah, I think it's (laughs) it's interesting to think about it, like, from cultural differences because I'm sure that, like, you know, outside of Latin America and the United States, like other countries have their own way to like say goodbye. Yes. And I, I'm, I hate to break it to you guys, but America does death the worst. Mm. I believe it. Shocker. Yeah. yeah. On par. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's America good at? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, like when I do, we study other cultures, most countries don't do embalming. Embalming is illegal in certain countries. It is very much an American thing um, to present death in this packaged way, but then also have no relationship with it. It's very sterile and separate and strange. That is not the case. I love in Mexico, how they do death. It's a party. They celebrate. They love on their person. And then they send them on their way. And then they visit them every year and have a celebration. That's so beautiful. And such a healthier relationship with death, too. Mm-hmm. That's what I want, y'all. When I go, um, bring me home. Have a jazz funeral. Like, have a big party. Bring me, like, a boat drink or something. Sit it beside me. And then <laughs> give me a water cremation. Andrew, are you taking notes? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's funny. People think that it that's so weird. Like, oh, I can never do that. But then when you're in the situation, I always say, nobody wants to see the person they love dead. That's going to be hard. But once you get over it, it's still the person you love. And with home funerals, my favorite takeaways and stories are always that they have time to sneak into the room with them and say all the things they did get to say. You don't get that opportunity oh. at a funeral home. It's a good point. Yeah. You know, the family's almost on display just as much as the person who's died. Everyone's like, I'm so sorry for your loss. They don't have that time and space to just be like, hey, I want to tell you how grateful I am for you. And that one time you did this and say all the things. And that's that's a space that you get when you're in a home and you have that 24 hours if you want to use it. Wow. Well, Lauren, I have to ask because you've brought so much joy to the discussion around death for our panel today. But I have to wonder, is this job ever taxing on you? And what sorts of things do you do to protect your mental health? Yeah, being around sadness and death all the time is not joyful at all. (laughs) It is Mm. so it's hard. And I think when I was, I call a younger funeral director, I had no idea what boundaries were. I did not know self-care and it deeply affected me. Like I needed to go get some help at one point. And now I just talk about it. When I have hard cases, I call people who would understand it. I call other death doulas. My mom is a hospice chaplain 
And so we can talk about the hard stuff together all the time. And again, I go back to that place of, I'm not the one who died. Uh, This is not my family that I'm helping right now. I'm doing a service. And secondly, I always go back to the point, like I'm alive. I get to do stuff. I get to go home and hug my kids. Like I take I don't take anything for granted. And I think that that makes the work a lot easier. It's a wonderful way to tie it back to the beginning of this discussion as well. Yeah. So where can our listeners find you online? Can you plug some of the things that uh, some of the places we can find you? Yeah. So go. you can go to deathwives.org. That's our main website. Um, we have two events coming up. We're doing a live workshop in New York City. So if any of your listeners are in New York City, and you're like, I want to do this. We're doing a workshop on 11-11, um, and it's called Death Doula Lab. And we teach you everything that we talked about. So we talk about funeral planning. We talk about body care. We teach you how to shroud a body um, and all the laws and rules and regulations. And if anybody is in New York and wants to join us, we have a discount of $100 off. And it's, OMG, I'm dead. <laughs> omg i'm dead yeah and i'm getting a hundred dollars off so i'm getting a hundred dollars off and i'm gonna learn everything i need to learn about death so i can teach my community and help other people there's something really i don't even want to say rebellious because it is very much what our ancestors did but kind of taking it back and taking it out of that industrial realm and that business aspect of what death is is very empowering for people. And so a lot of people take the, our classes just because they're like, well, somebody I love is going to die someday. I better mm. get some information about it. Yeah. Um, and on Friday, we have a webinar that's free. So anybody can come and join. You can go on our website and just type in stethwives.org slash rise, which is pretty cool because the class is called Rise of the Death Doula. And we kind of explain what a death doula is and why we're changing the way we do death in America. So that'll be Friday at 530 Mountain Time. And if you go onto the website, you can just register for free. Okay, great. Amazing. also want to call out, and I think you mentioned these earlier, but you do have uh, courses that people can purchase, like Mm -hmm. pre-recorded courses. And there's one on facing pet loss, too. And I know um, a lot of people obviously go through that. That's inevitable, too, of course. And uh, you can purchase the replay of that course. That one's $11. So, and it's an hour long workshop. I'll probably be yep. buying that. I mean, the three <laughs> of us here stress about the passing of our own pets all the time. They're all still with us, but don't get you know. me started. Yeah. That's one place that's hard for me to go. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Lauren, this has been so great. Thank you so yeah. much for all this information. We learned so much today. <laughs> I'm so glad. And I feel so cheerful. I I told you. You guys are like, how are you so happy? I'm like, you'll find out. (laughs) I mean, again, once we talk about it and get that like fear part out of it, you realize, okay, it's a part of life. Like, again, when you deconstruct it and you realize nothing in life would matter if we didn't have death, it kind of changes your idea of it. It's like, oh, you're kind of my buddy over there. And I know you're waiting for me someday. But I'm going to do everything I can while I'm alive because I know that you're going to be there eventually. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, thank you again, Lauren. Thank you. Coming up, we will talk about haunted houses. But first, a quick break. We'll be right back.
All right, y'all, we're going to continue some of the spooky themes this week by talking about haunted houses. Specifically, want to talk about this story that came out of home improvement app Thumbtack. Are y'all familiar with this app, by the way? I'd never heard of it before. I haven't either. It, no. It's basically an all-in-one like home care, home improvement, home maintenance app that can connect you with various different experts, um, you know, contractors, things like that for home repairs or improvements that you might need. Um, they came out with a brilliant marketing campaign and it's getting a lot of attention. They ran a survey of their users and found, based on the results, that 40% of millennials believe that their home is haunted. I'm not (laughs) like, I don't think my current home is haunted, but I've definitely lived places where I thought it might be haunted. So I feel really validated right now hearing about this. But first of all, I just want to give them some major kudos for this brilliant marketing move. Um, So in the description, they write, every year as we prepare for trick-or-treaters and decorate our homes for Halloween, we go out of our way to make our homes look scary on purpose. But when we put off tackling projects like clearing pesky spider webs or servicing noisy HVAC systems, these neglected maintenance projects can make our homes suddenly start to feel scary all year round. And they proceed to talk about some of the top common home maintenance issues that contribute to making your home feel spooky. So they talk about things like doors closing unexpectedly, hearing noises inside the walls, your lights flickering, and creaky floors or stairs. They got into some other examples too. But what is so creative about this is that they, Thumbtack, launched their own Haunted Homes Hotline, which you can call between October 24th and October 31st to speak to, to speak to one of their experts to help troubleshoot whether you need a paranormal investigator or just some simple home maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> And to top it all off, because they really want to drive the theme home, um, they're going to give out a discount to some of their callers on booking a service through their app. But two of their lucky callers are going to get to talk to Sarah Michelle Geller. (laughs) Wow. They get to have a phone call with her. With Buffy the Vampire Slayer herself. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) I know. It's it's just wild. and, And it's just a brilliant piece of marketing, especially given the time of year. Um, I I thought that them picking this out was so cool because when you look up, and this is how I found this story, and this is how I start my research a lot for the show, I will go into like the news tab on Google and just type in millennials to see what reports come up. Yeah. And this report came up out of Boston talking about 40% of millennials believe their house is haunted. And I was like, holy cow, that's perfect for this week, this month. And I click into it, and it's actually just this brilliant advertisement for Thumbtack. <laughs> that is really smart. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these surveys are that way half oh, the yeah. time. It, it ends up being like a marketing campaign. But that's okay. I mean, as long as the data is accurate, it, you know, we'll, we'll repurpose it for our own needs. Um, 
I suspect that like 99% of the time, the people who are calling into the haunted ha- homes hotline will just be told, idiot, you just need some WD-40 on that door. There's nothing wrong with your house. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have one of our specialists come out today. <laughs> yeah. But it's a good way to get a good deal on that kind of thing, too, because you might get a discount. Right. And to chat with Sarah Michelle Geller. And Potentially. to chat with Buffy for sure. I like how she only has she's only taking two calls. <laughs> two calls. <laughs> that was all they could get her to contract for. <laughs> two five minute calls. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask y'all, um, have you ever lived or even been somewhere that you believed at the time to be haunted? So I think I've brought this story up before. I'll tell it really quickly. Um, We had a basement in my childhood home and my dad had assembled like kind of a pool room, like a billiard room. And he had a lot of like memorabilia and stuff on the shelves. And at the top shelf in the center of the billiard room was this mini Groucho Marx statue. (laughs) And he was holding a cigar. And this guy was always terrifying to me as a kid. And I'm talking years I was convinced at night this thing was going to come to life like it's at a Toy Story and come and murder me. It was going to climb two flights of stairs, come into my bedroom and murder me. And when I would hear noises at night, I knew that was Groucho Marx coming to life, ready to stick that cigar he was holding down my throat (laughs) and choke me to death. Or somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Would that kill me, though? Maybe. I'll have to ask Bill Clinton. But I was just... <laughs> but I, it, it really terrified me, and and for years I would hear things in the house. The thing about living in a, it's two story house, but it also had a basement, so there's a lot of space. More space means more opportunities for people to be hiding in. You know, they break in and they hide in a closet during the day. Even in this house, not as big as my family house, but there's a lot of space here. People could be hiding. It stresses me out sometimes. So that's the closest I've gotten. I think. I was going to say, going back to this um, thumbtack advertisement, basically, for themselves, I have often lived in in like older apartments or in just houses that are like, you know, maybe from like the 1970s ish. And a lot of times when you live even in houses that are from like mid-century, it's just going to like there are creaks and stuff in the foundation. But this one time... um, we, when we were really young, we started hearing like me and my brother started hearing weird noises in the middle of the night. And it, it was like a lot of scrabbling and it sounded like it was coming from within the walls. It was it was just that there were rats in the attic. And I guess at one point, like something larger, like a raccoon or a, maybe like a stray cat had also gotten up in there because you would hear like tumbling after the scrabbling. So um also a good reminder to just check your foundation make sure no critters can like get in there and cause mischief in the middle of the night scare the pants off of you if you or your kids if you have young kids because we must have been like maybe around 10 ish when that was happening so it was like it was very scary it's great to know that it wasn't like a ghost or (laughs) something up there making lots of noise though Sure, but sometimes people will write things off as maybe something paranormal and not consider that it could actually be something more dangerous. Like, 
Anytime yeah. I've heard about people going to, because, you know, p- urban explorers, like they'll do things like abandoned hospitals or abandoned prisons and mm-hmm. things. And you'll hear people kind of riff on the idea of like, oh, what if there's a ghost in here? I'm like, I- honestly, I would be more afraid of something living being in there. Yeah. That feels like more of a threat than the yes. ghost. Mm-hmm. I this always is basically think about how I feel. with like boarded up houses and stuff. Yeah. You don't I think know about that there? all the time. Yeah. Get. Yeah. And that that was me basically with like people hiding in closets in the house. Mm-hmm. That that type of thing would stress me out. Like I'm more concerned about that than any of this paranormal ghost stuff. Although I will say I do have one story that comes to mind where something happened to me that I cannot explain. And I think longtime listeners of the show will know that I don't particularly consider myself to be like a terribly spiritual person. But I will say when it comes to whether or not ghosts exist, I don't really know um, because I've had a couple of things happen. Some of them have been documented on this show that I just can't explain. And the one that I'm about to share is one of those. So I went to undergrad at McDaniel College. It's in Northern Maryland. Um, Love that place. Still just have so much um, adoration. For that place in my heart, I will always, always love McDaniel. But it's an older school. It was built like a few years before the end of the Civil War to the point where certain buildings on campus were around in Civil War days. In particular, the admissions office is rumored to have been used as a Civil War hospital. So it was always kind of a kind of an inside joke, superstition, belief, what have you, that the college was haunted and that there were various ghosts around the campus. And they really leaned into it, right? There was always something around Halloween where they would have like a haunted campus tour and go through all the different ghost legends and have actors and things. And it was super fun. But I will say my freshman year. Uh, I was in my dorm. My roommate was gone for the weekend and it was towards the end of term. So I was like up in the middle of the night writing a paper and it's like a Saturday night. Nobody's really partying or anything because, again, finals are like right around the corner or at least I wasn't out partying because I was a loser. But (laughs) uh, we had these like they were closets Um, but I don't know, maybe more like armoires, but they were like built into the wall and they were across from each other. So I was sitting on my computer and my roommate's closet was like catty corner from where I was in the room. And she always kept all of her dishware on the top shelf of her closet. There was really nowhere else to put it. Y'all know what dorm life is like. You kind of figure out where to fit things where you can. So she had like her cups and her bowls and everything up there. And I'm sitting there writing. It's like two in the morning. And all of a sudden I hear like a swishing sound. And I was like, what? And I turn and looked and I didn't see anything, but I noticed that the door to her closet, it was like a folding door, um, was open. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. I was like, oh, maybe she just she forgot whatever. She left it open before she left. And then 
Not 30 seconds later, I'm like back to focusing on my computer, writing my paper. I hear like a crashing, breaking sound of glass. And I look over and I see that one of her glasses that had been on top of her shelf in her closet had not only fallen on the floor and broken, it had to have flown across the room because it was laying broken in front of my closet. Oh, and to this day, I do not know how to explain this because (laughs) like there were no windows open. There was no there were no seismic events occurring. It's fucking Maryland. Like, (laughs) like there just there wasn't anything happening that can really explain to me what caused that. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that there is some kind of natural phenomenon that probably could but as an 18-year-old, that shit was freaky. And I still don't know why it happened. <laughs> Did you try to consult anybody else on this concern? Yeah. And I mean, most people tried to convince me that it was some kind of naturally occurring phenomenon. Like, oh, maybe maybe because it was winter and in the winter materials like contract and yeah, maybe... That seems extreme though. Uh, yeah. I Well, especially because it had been like nothing had been disturbed all day. She had left mm-hmm. early in the day and this didn't happen until I was alone at two o'clock in the morning. So it was it was very strange. But there's mm-hmm. your taste of spooky for the season, y'all. <laughs> From the school you loved. Oh, man, I fucking love McDaniel. I'd go again. Even the ghosts. Not for, Even no no more student loans, though, please. <laughs> <laughs> that was the spookiest part of all. <laughs> uh, for real, it's, it's still haunting me to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck my life. Yeah, for real. We did ask our patrons as well. Have you ever lived somewhere you believe to be haunted? Uh, And of our responses, 59% of respondents, we had about 80 people take it total, said, no, I've never had an experience with a haunted location. So, you know, that's no fun. Uh, We do have 24% 24 of people. So fuck all you. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you guys. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're our elders. We're not going to say that to you. Yes. Um, Yeah. But uh, 24% said, yes, I either live or have lived somewhere haunted. And 16% said, no, but I have been to another haunted place. So we've got we've got some numbers here of people who've had some unexplainable experiences and people left some fun comments that we might be able to revisit at another time when we're having a spooky conversation. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, it's also kind of fun to believe in some of this stuff too, right? That might be where some of these results are coming from. Yeah. All right. Well, um, just be careful, y'all. Maybe it's not something spooky or haunted. It's just you need to put some WD-40 on something. That could be it. (laughs) Just a reminder, before we wrap up today, this week is your last chance to pledge to our Patreon and receive the 2023 physical gift. This year's gift is our album art, and it's signed by the three of us, and they are individually numbered. There will be two bonuses, remember? One is a little nod to the year, and then the second one is this larger bonus content plan we have coming. Um, It's going to be spread out over several months, and 
the idea is that those of you who get the physical gift will be the first people to receive access to this bonus content. Um, so definitely, you don't want to miss out on this gift because we're putting together something really sc- special between all three elements. What? I thought you were going to say we're putting just together something really scary. <laughs> <laughs> really scary good, more like. <laughs> Patreon.com slash millennial is where you can support us to receive this year's physical gift. You must pledge by October 31st, and you also have to fill out the form. It should only take a moment. Uh, we just need you to uh, give us your current mailing address. And by the way, if you're a 2 or $5 patron, you can, you can, of course, upgrade as well. We do also have... Um, we also do have annual subscriptions. And if you do use that feature, you will get a little discount on your annual subscription. Time for some recommendations. What do you have for us, Laura? Well, I have to be on brand and recommend The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. It's the latest Mike Flanagan entry into his various uh, horror-themed series that come out on Netflix every October. It is very, very good. You should watch it. I want to recommend at Personal Finance Club on Instagram. This guy, he retired at 36, and he makes a lot of easy-to-understand posts about investing, saving, spending, and compares different ways you can go about your financial life. And what I really like him, what really caught my eye, was that was the visual aspect of his posts. They're very easy to digest and he presents all the information in a very friendly tone. So I definitely recommend checking him out if you're looking for some tips at Personal Finance Club. And I wanted to recommend freezing your cookie dough if you just want to get a head start on holiday baking. I um, really love this idea because sometimes you're baking a lot or you're trying to make a lot of um, little goodies at one time. So if you can get ahead of some of that work might help you going into November, December when everybody likes to bake. Um, I don't usually keep my frozen cookie dough past like three months, but that's pretty much all you need to just get yourself through the holiday season. But yeah, it works great. And you can even like um, freeze like if you're making chocolate chip cookies like I always make chocolate chip, chocolate chip cookies you can freeze them already in like the pre-made balls and just thaw them out a little bit and pop them in the oven and yeah no cleanup no mess really because you already did all that beforehand that's fantastic smart. coming up in after dark today two things going on in after dark first of all Y'all, I think we need to fire Chloe and shut down our social media accounts. I can't I can't do a social media presence while also trying to meet friends. Something happened the other day that I can't even with. So I'm gonna tell everybody oh. about that. Okay. Um yeah, I think we might need to inform HR that you're sharing with our audience that you're terminating our social media manager. <laughs> Guys, I can't anymore. This is too much. I'm leaving the internet, I think, too. <laughs> All right, that one's a step too far. But <laughs> uh, so I have a story to tell uh, there, and then also we're going to continue our discussion on death by talking about legacy contacts that you can set on Apple, Android, uh, Gmail, Facebook, other social media apps. What happens to your data when you die? There's actually things you could be setting up now. And I am excited to share. I will be giving the keys to my Facebook account to one of you in today's After Dark. <laughs> oh my if God. you're willing to take on this responsibility. Mm-hmm. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> so don't, don't screw this up. 
Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, if you use Spotify to listen to music, we'd also recommend just using it to listen to Millennial. And you can get your Patreon benefits through there as well. But it's a great podcast app, and we would definitely recommend you give that a shot. Um, You can also contact us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media while the accounts are still live. (laughs) Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Threads. And then over on TikTok, we're Millennial Pod. After Dark will start in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.